Like notes through the hourglass, these are the songs of our lives. Welcome to the first ever episode, well, first official episode of Songs of Our Lives, a new podcast from Foxy Digitalis. I am Brad Rose, and I'm really excited to finally launch this, been working on it all summer. Um, a little bit about what it is, because that's probably your first question, and you know, there's all sorts of Foxy Digitalis podcasts and stuff on the website. What is this? It's a different thing. Well... It kind of started, so let me go back to last year, last fall, and I ha- had some health stuff come up, nothing serious, like, all, th- all is good, but, like, the the thing that I came to terms with is, like, okay, I got to make some changes or this could be less good in the future, and so ever since then, I have been going on daily walks slash jogs for about an hour, and I needed something to fill that time, you know, listening to something, and you would think, of course, oh, well... Brad, you listen to an absurd amount of music. You probably get an endless supply of things to listen to. Well, I don't actually like listening to music when I'm out walking or jogging. And so I start, I have some podcasts I listen to. And one that I really got into is called uh, Films to be Buried with by Brett Goldstein. And I'm not necessarily a film guy. Um, I like movies. I like films, but I'm not, I'm not an expert or anything like that. But um, I just found the format of it and all of it so engaging and interesting and funny and just generally wonderful. And now part of that is because he is like a world-class, you know, comedian and writer and actor and all those things. And many of the guests he have, has on are similarly, you know, comedians or actors or right, you know, at the height of their craft. But the format is a big part of it. It's just, it's just a good format. And so I was always be thinking like the first few months or so, or whatever I was listening, I was like, God, this would be such a cool thing to do with music, to do with, you know, sound. Of course. Cause that's all I, you know, that's what I think about more than anything is music and sound. It's like, somebody should do that. Somebody should do that. And then it's just kind of like, why don't you do that? Like, you know how to make podcasts, you know, a lot of cool people who would be really interesting guests. And so I started working on it. And so I spent some time developing the, um, the questionnaire and you know all these things it's a number of test episodes to kind of hone things in and when it came time to figure out who would be maybe the perfect first guest instantly jeff tobias came to mind so jeff tobias is a multi-instrumentist and composer um he's a member of sun watchers modern nature a bunch of stuff and like Jeff and I know each other through Foxy Digitalis. I've written about some of his music and um, he did a mix for Foxy Digitalis a little while ago. That's really great. You should check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, But the thing that really made me think, Oh, he would be such a good guest is so Sam Melancon of debacle records. And I of course do a podcast about rancid called the 11th hour. And Jeff was a guest on it. And I thought, you know, if he's game for this, he's probably game for anything. And sure enough, Send him an email. It's like, hey, I got this thing. I'm, it's a new thing I'm working on. I think you'd be an awesome first guest. Here's what it is. What do you think? And he was like, hell yes. And so we recorded this uh, over Zoom in the end of August. Um, Jeff has a new album out called 
music from Milky Way Underground, which is really good. It's basically the soundtrack to a it's to a podcast, but it's like a it's a narrative fiction podcast. So that's for teens and young adults. And the mu- but musically, it just stands on its own, and it's really wonderful. Um, he's last year had a, two really good albums, Just What I Feel, Recurring Dream. There's a new Sun Watchers coming out in November on Trouble in Mind. So lots of good stuff of his to check out. But I hope you enjoy the first episode of Songs of Our Lives. So my guest today is a musician, a composer, a, I don't know, a lot of things, and made one of quite possibly the most cursed tape cover in history. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Jeff Tobias. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, you're, you are infamous in my house because my daughter hates that tape cover. <laughs> 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 yeah i mean the word that jumps to mind is upsetting yeah my my question though is why well why not i mean that's you know. you know that's that is a really good question and i'm i i'm struggling to even uh look backwards and figure out how i decided that that would be a good idea i mean i think that i don't remember which came first the idea to have this uh, o card that looks like a, a rectangular shrunken head that is my face and my ears and the back of my head. Um, but I mean, I I just um, I think part of it is that um, it's a solo saxophone tape, and it's it's like definitely in the experimental uh, sort of extended technique style, and I think a lot of that music can be a little self serious. So yeah. I, I wanted to do to go in the complete opposite direction and do something that uh, was fun, but why, But but that's not that's sort of more how or or, or than, than than why. Like why did I why did I inflict this on the people in my life? People who I ostensibly care about. I don't know, Brad. Well, well, I appreciate the the. It made me laugh, and Good. I, and so you know when you. Like you said, a lot of experimental music can be serious, and and I love seriousness and all that. But I like joy and laughing, and so I thought it was great. But my daughter is; she made me put it in the cabinet. She's like, "You can't ever get that out." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so. yeah, it's jarring, man. I go to my friend's uh, apartment sometimes, and I'll see it, and it is a little God. like it's it is like a little jump scare moment sometimes. <laughs> Um, awesome. To have this little like little gremlin version of me kind of like <laughs> peering back at me. It is awful. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what it is? I just realized it's kind of like the Richard D. James thing. It is, yeah, that's one of the, that was kind of where when I first saw it, that was where my head went was it reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just remembering now that like uh, the video for Come to Daddy was like really like it really legitimately scared me when I was in high school. <laughs> and yeah. So maybe there's some kind of subliminal influence from that. Maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. Uh, well, you've also so that that came out what last year? I don't know. I have yeah. no sense of time. But you just released music from Milky Way Underground, which yeah. is a really cool thing. So, am I right? It's sort of like a music you made for a podcast series. Or That's something? right. That's right. Yeah. Um, my close friend Grant Stewart 
uh, wrote a narrative fiction podcast called Milky Way Underground. Um, and it's, uh, I, I guess it's almost sort of like uh, Twin Peaks slash Wizard of Oz, um, but, you know, intended for a, an audience of teens. Like that it oh, was wow. presented by uh, Tracks, which was a podcast network for like aimed for a teen audience. And so it, um, but Grant really wanted it to not, uh, he wanted to take the audience seriously and not dumb anything down. So mm -hmm. it's a really, really cool, very um, abstract and at times really sort of like mystifying uh, story about these two teenagers who get sent on a journey by their grandmother and they get on the subway in New York and then all of a sudden the subway go train goes somewhere else and it's snowing inside the subway train. When they get off the train, they're somewhere else where wow. they, ha they, ha they have people, all the people in their lives are there, but they're different. So it's like that Wizard of Oz, right. of Oz kind right, of a right, thing. Right. And um, Grant sort of like, he gave me a little bit of guidance. He gave me a couple of suggestions of jumping off points, but he kind of gave me carte blanche to make the music that I thought would work for that. And so That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, it sounds like so, a really fun project too. I mean. It was fantastic. It was so fun. I mean, uh, Grant's one of my closest friends and to I've known him for a really long time, but this is, I think the first time we ever collaborated on anything and it turned out really wonderfully. Um, it's a cool show. Uh, it's, you know, quote, quote unquote, where you, where everyone, where, wherever you find podcasts, um, John Darnielle from mountain goats has a character on it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, I think Julian Coster from Neutral Milk Hotel and Music Tapes also appears towards the end, if my memory serves correct. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It, yeah, yeah. I would say, I mean, any 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 like teenager who's like got like an open mind would enjoy it. I think so. Yeah, well, the music on it, like I just like listening to it as an album, it's really great. So I'm really imagining it in that context. Is um, my kid's ten, so you know almost i don't know but a couple of years a couple of yeah, years yeah i'm gonna have to like somehow remember that it exists in a couple of years but i'm very intrigued by it so that's cool. really cool um well yeah so i guess we're gonna that's what's happening currently but now we're gonna go all the way back mm -hmm. and we're gonna talk about what is the first song that you remember the first song i remember is got my mind set on you by george harrison that I hadn't, God, I hadn't thought about that song in a long time when that was on your list. Like, I've, I think I've had it intermittently stuck in my head for the last week. To... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember hearing, like, do you have any specific memory related to that song? Like, hearing it, like, with your, like, your parents or in the car or I don't know. Or yeah. Just... I, I think it was, well, I mean, at that point in my life, you know, when you're that young, there, you have control over so little of what you're doing right consuming all of that so it was i'm sure i'm sure my parents um played it for me i i have a memory of it being like i can imagine the basement of the house that i grew up in um and like dancing to it on a cassette on a boom box <laughs> as a kid uh-huh um yeah i don't i uh, you know i could have said like you know another song that jumps out is don't worry be happy but 
I, but I think I think I think the George Harrison song is actually my my early what like, one of my earliest musical memories that isn't like just my mom singing something right. like it's like a commercial recording. I think that's right. the first one. Yeah, that's interesting. And I remember I like I used to listen to Beatles records with my dad when I would stay home sick from well going to church. So my dad mm. would stay home and, and like Beatles and Beach Boys records. It took. I don't even know how. I I didn't ever put. And then I remember this song too because I like it was. It was like a really big hit. It was kind of everywhere. Never realized that there was any relationship between those for the longest time. I was like, oh, that's George Harrison. Oh, that anyway. So. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I had no context at all. And it's funny listening to it again now. Um, I'm listening to the snare drum and I'm like, well, Jeff Lynn produced this. That's for goddamn <laughs> sure. Um. And then uh, I watched the video for the first time this past week, and uh, it's pretty sick. There's like a taxidermied squirrel playing uh, <laughs> a, a smoking oh pipe, like it's a saxophone. Yeah, which which like which I'd never, you know, that was like many many years before I would discover MTV. So, yeah, I just remember I remember like dancing around the basement and like taking really really big steps while I was doing <laughs> it. I think I was like trying to match the beat of the drums. That's my memory. That's awesome. Um. Well, are you a are you are you a crier? Sometimes, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm human, Brad. So you know. well, you know. Um, so what's a song? What's what's a song that j- basically always makes you cry, or has made you cry in the past? I guess but, you know. Well, that's the thing. That's what, <laughs> it's funny that you phrase it that way, Brad. Because I, when you asked me that question, I was like, "All right, well, let's uh, let's take some of the." some of the classics for a test drive here. See, see, see what we can have happen. And so I put on songs that have made me cry in the past. And uh, I, for, I started with uh, Shing Ki by Carl Stone, um, which is a, such a gorgeous piece of music. And it didn't, nothing happened. And then I put on Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, which is a song that like in the past has made me so emotional. I just have to leave the room, nothing nothing just and then i and then i was like oh uh, well let's try hammond's song by ah. the roaches and uh there that did the trick that so what, like one of the really fun things for me on this is because you know i use a little behind the curtain look for everybody's you send me the songs but you don't tell me what they're for is trying to figure out when i see the list like i wonder what this is you know category so here like in my, like full disclosure Somehow I had never heard this song in my life. Oh wow. And so when I got this I put it on, it it destroyed me. It is unbelievable. It's I mean I uh I can't I, it's you know, I think that in all in all seriousness, I think that when you're an artist there the the potential is there for um, something uh, s- sublime or yeah. even divine. If you, you know, I don't know, not every artist is going to feel that way or have those kinds of um, philosophy. I don't know. Like, right. I think that they did it. I think that yeah. the, I think the Roaches are an incredible group and I love so many of their songs and albums, but that one, it's like they unlocked something. Right. Mm-hmm. That is, um, absolutely without flaw and also and i you know i i read the lyrics when you know i was thinking about these songs and the 
lyrical content is so devastating. <laughs> it is. It, it's so devastating and so heavily relatable. Yeah. It's, it's a song about the experience you have when th something is coming to an end, when someone in your life is doing something, they're, 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 they're going off in some other direction and you don't want them to, but it's impossible to dissuade right. them. Yeah. And it, yeah. So it's uh, emotionally very resonant. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the com <clears throat> like the combination of the, those lyrics and that message with, I mean, the harmonies are just something again, speaking of something from like another world or tapping into the divine. I mean, the, that combination is just, it. like I said, the first time I listened to it, I just, I had to stop what I was doing. Cause I just, I was like, Oh my God, what is happening? And yeah. And, and so, so someone, someone completely unrelated to this song the other night told me about something they call blood harmony, which is a phrase I've never heard before. But mm. apparently when people who are related sing together, it, 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 I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of fucking science is behind <laughs> this, but apparently when people who are related sing together, it, it has a certain quality to it, supposedly. Mm. Um, and, but listening to Hammond's song by the Roaches, which is who are a group of three sisters, I mean, when they hit the big, like, major seventh chord at the end of every verse, mm -hmm. especially with Robert Fripp playing guitar, right? <laughs> uh, like, adding another tone, like that sort of super um, incredibly laser clear um, mm -hmm. tone that he had in the 70s, because, you know, he produced the record and played all over it. Um, it, it, I mean, I don't know how else... I don't know what to say about it except that it's perfect. It's yeah, perfect. Yeah, it is. No, I I would totally agree. Um, well, on the flip side of that, what's the song that always puts you in a better mood? Oh, uh, well, the song that I chose is by Rasan Roland Kirk, and it's called <laughs> "Pedal Up." Yes. Yeah. That that song is like it's it's like ecstasy or something. I don't know. I mean, it just yeah. That's one of those songs where I hadn't I hadn't listened to it in a little while and when i put it on i was just yeah it just makes you feel alive <laughs> i i put it on last night at like 12 30 while i was washing dishes and i was like <laughs> is this really smart do i really want to like put on like this really <laughs> exciting and fun song like as i'm like trying to go to you know getting ready to go to sleep or something but it, it just it just made me happy it didn't even like it it, it just because you know the song opens with this sound that Roland Kirk does. Because you know he, in addition to playing the three saxophones, always kept all these noisemakers. Mm -hmm. for, for for your listeners, I don't know if all your listeners are going to know about Roland Kirk. He, uh, but you know, great one of the great saxophone players of twentieth century jazz, mm -hmm. um, and it, uh, it was mo was famous, I guess, for mo for playing multiple saxophones at the same time, as right. many as three, which is it sounds ridiculous, but it and it is a little ridiculous, right. but it goes so far beyond the gimmick just because his incredible right. um the rigor of his genius, uh, uh, the 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 work and like the creativity of how he approaches that idea totally transcends any kind of gimmickry. Mm -hmm. Um because you know again and also he was one of the first horn players in my uh awareness to popularize circular breathing um oh um, i didn't know that yeah yeah i mean you know like to, to me like the three most well-known circular breathing saxophone players of of modern history 
are are Evan Parker, uh-huh. um, Roland Kirk, and Kenny G, which you know is a cautionary tale. Just you know, any 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 tool is only as good as the artist using it. Yeah. You know? So uh, you know, everyone everyone be careful out there. Don't yeah. don't try that at home. But um, but anyway, but like so this song. It just like the groove is amazing. The song has this chord progression that just keeps going up and up. The melody is amazing. The main melody of the song. Oh yeah, and it starts off with this sort of like whistle. Like what is that? Like is it like a what do you even call that sound? Where it's like yeah, I it's it's like a a zippery sound. Like a, but a, <laughs> I know what you're talking. It's it is one of those whistles. Those whistles you had as a kid, as it reminds me of it. I remember right. I had them in like the eighties, and it was like had like a little fan or something in it. I don't know. You, you know, it is. It's 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 the um it's the little rings that Bart and Lisa find in the yes. uh, the like the friendship club or whatever. They they're like only two of us in the family have <laughs> rings, and then Bart and Lisa are like, yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, um, but yeah, the song is just pure excitement and yeah. Rowan Kirk just going almost the entire time except for the piano solo and then at the end he does just like showing off doing like the Beethoven tease it's a perfect piece of music yeah, but also cool. but yeah you put that on it's it's just a thrill I love Rowan Kirk so much I'm so glad to have heard his music yeah I did too. I came to him later in life and I, it was one of those things of when I first heard him and started getting, it was like, where has this been for like, cause I, I was listening to a lot of jazz and stuff at that point, but somehow, cause I don't think he's as, I mean, he's not as well known as a lot of, um, I think he's better known now than maybe, you know, this was when I was in my late twenties or something, but anyway, um, well, what is, and you know, I think you could make a case for any of the last two you said, but what is objectively that song? I mean, it's it's uh, I'm bringing it back, baby. It's Hammond song. It's Hammond song by the Roaches. I mean, that's the thing when I was talking earlier about like trying to figure out the cry, the, the song that always makes me cry. I had moved on from that topic. I was like, Jeff, I think you're just proving to yourself that you're completely dead inside. <laughs> None of the classics work anymore. Yeah. You're just you're a stoic, jaded, um, <laughs> you know, uh, um, uh, automaton. And then I and then I was like, all right, let's focus on what's objectively the best song of all time. And so I put right. on Hammond's song, and I was like, God damn, it's a two for one. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, so yeah, you can have it. I can't. I can't argue with that because <laughs> it I is. Mean, it's perfect. It's, it is perfect. It is perfect. And I mean, I don't know. I I I'm trying to remember the other examples that I thought of. Um, but like, yeah, Hammond's song. I don't know. It's like it's with it's without flaw. They nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's a song that you used to love, but now like you've heard it recently and like, not so much. I'm so glad you asked this question. (laughs) And in order to answer it, I'm going to explain that uh, I'm in a, uh, I'm in a three person group chat called the 1997 investigation committee. Uh, the other people in this chat are, uh, Joe Sidney, who is the leader of Tears La Familia, yeah. which is a group that I'm a member of. And Joe's a longtime friend of mine. And then the other person is Scott Smith, who records under the name president of the drums. Uh, he and I were in a band called we versus the shark a long time ago. 
And what happens in this group chat is someone, usually Joe, will post a billboard like modern rock chart from sometime in 1997 and we'll just like talk about it. We'll just be like, what was what was that about? Or like, I don't even remember that sponge song, you know, (laughs) and um, when I was in high school, I was getting into electronic music because uh, Spin and Rolling Stone was telling me that I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had like a chemical brothers poster on my wall. Um, uh, weirdly they didn't put those actual guys on the poster. It was the album cover. Uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe there yeah. was some, there. but anyway, uh, but one of the groups that I found in this, um, coordinated, uh, promotional experience that I was having as a teenager was low fidelity, all stars. And I got their record, How to Operate with a Blown Mind. And I really, really got into it off the strength of the single Battle Flag. (laughs) And, you know, like, there's a lot about that song that holds up or is just still interesting. Like, there's Mm -hmm. this really great, like, sequenced synth bass line that is really fun the main vocalist for for all i guess i I should just explain so low fidelity all-stars were this british band i think they were from bristol although the guy the the main singer he kind of sounds like he's from the north but they were like fat boy slim style like crystal method style right yeah like big beat but then they also had the added element of having this guy doing like spoken word over the whole thing and you know at that point i was a teenager and i didn't know who the fall was no one had hit me to the fall Uh and so i didn't realize that this guy was just doing mark e smith basically (laughs) right (laughs) just like but like it was like mark e smith by way of jim morrison yeah you know it's like very like it's very like we're talking about all the drugs and the alcohol we're using and uh it's you know, you look back on it and it's, yeah, like you were asking what makes me cringe. Like a lot of these <laughs> lyrics are pretty cringy. Um, but but the thing that I've discovered th- through the 1997 investigation committee, Brad, you might not know this, but in 1998, the Low Fidelity All-Stars were the biggest selling British act in America. How, what? Wow. Outselling even Oasis. Holy I know. And now, and now no one talks about them. So when I, yeah, when I saw this on your list, I was like, what the hell is it? And then I played it and it was like immediately I remembered. And for some reason, I think it must have, my brain started thinking about the Sopranos. I don't know if it's because it reminds me vaguely musically of the theme song or if maybe this was in the Sopranos. It seems like something that would have been in the Sopranos, frankly. Both. It's totally uh, both. Okay. Um, And then, yeah, I it's a it's amazing that that they were in 1998 the best selling because yeah they might as well not exist at this <laughs> yeah like zero critical reassessment no interest like no, there's no one out there being like wow the re- I can't be- can't believe it's been 20 years since no no one gives a shit no one's looking for the reunion tour <laughs> no no no. <laughs> Uh, and also like, yeah, after that album, the vocalist guy left and I'm sure the rest of them were like, well, that was fun, I guess. Now we're just the crystal method, but from England. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, but, and I still like, I'll, I'll still, I've been like listening to that record a bit and there's still a lot of cool, strong moments about it. They have kind of like a DJ shadow introducing vibe at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but that dude is just ridiculous. He's a ridiculous character. And also the song is just so strange because it's, it's a, it's a remix of some kind of like an artist named Pigeonhead, who I think was on Sub Pop, but, weird. but like, and he himself, like Pigeonhead, the artist had also taken some stuff from Prince for that song. So Prince has a songwriting credit on Battle Flag. Oh my God. You're like, so, a, like, like thir- three degrees of separation. That's so but, random. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, yeah. you know, like so much of the nineties is being kind of repackaged mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of like refiltered into zoomer music right now. But <laughs> I think that what bat, what low what low fidelity all-stars did is just has been completely untouched and untapped. And I think if you played it for a younger person today, they would just find it incomprehensible. I, yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah. Um, so kind of sort of on the flip side of that, not really, but it's adjacent. So what's a song that most people are either hate or it's like not, you know, critically, it's just panned, but you, you love it. You don't care. Well, this is, this is a, a funny question. I yeah. thought about it a little bit and the answer that I came up with was River of Dreams by Billy Joel. <laughs> and like, that's not a song that I'm like listening to all the time. Sure. I, just, I just have, I just have a certain affection for it for a couple yeah. of different reasons. It's just, you know, I think it's sort of similar to the George Harrison tune where I have this memory of having that tape. Yeah. You know, at a time in my life where I wasn't myself going out and buying any music because I, I just wasn't that age yet. So this tape was like around the house and I put it on and I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is nice. I mean, who doesn't love the sound of a choir, you know? Right. Um, but then like, uh, do you know about his Grammy performance of that song? I don't know. So I don't remember what year it would have been. This would have been in the early to mid nineties, I guess. But, um, so he was set to perform river of dreams on the Grammys and before earlier in the Grammy night, Frank Sinatra got an award. And at this point in his life, Sinatra was, I think, in cognitive decline and he was rambling. And they played him off. Oh, man. The Grammy producers were like, okay, let's get old Blue Eyes off stage. And so, like, they like started, they brought up the music and they ushered Frank off stage. And so then later in the evening, when it came time for Billy Joel to perform, and this is on YouTube. You know that song River of Dreams that has all these breaks in it, you know, mm-hmm. where everything stops. Yep. And so the second time that happens, where he's like, So I can finally find what I've been looking for. <laughs> and then everyone stops. And then Billy Joel just looks into the camera and holds his hands up and he goes, Valuable advertising time. Valuable advertising time going by. Dollars. <laughs> dollars. 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 And he just sits there and the audience cheers. And then in the middle of the band, then he just brings the whole band back in. I thought that was kind of fun. I, I think that Man, that's fair play to Billy Joel. <laughs> you know, like I'm from Long Island. And so Billy Joel is my albatross to bear as a music fan. And I understand that. And I'm not here to defend Billy Joel. 
I think that that like, but like listening, revisiting that song, it's kind of a funny, like I'm thinking about, it made me think about, it made me think about um, a certain kind of Long Island archetype mm -hmm. of a dude who, like, I think that there's a certain kind of conservative mindset that has the feeling that all experience is completely universal. Like in, in that, like, they're just sort of like, there's no difference between me and anyone else, mm -hmm. which is like a very, like, it's like a very sort of like up by the bootstraps kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of thing that will allow an artist like Billy Joel to make a music video for river of dreams where he's like, leading a like a southern baptist choir right and there's just like no cognitive dissonance there right and and so like and i feel like there's like a long island dude who will listen to river of dreams and hear all this gospel and be like this is also my experience this is this is also who i am but the yes. song but like but also the song is about i've been thinking about this a lot brad the song the song is about like the song's about like trying to find something you've lost. And I just think about like growing up on Long Island and just having the experience of everything being completely secularized. And so I think that there's like a vibe with this song, a truly truthful vibe of like being a secular Long Island person and just being like, oh, I wish I had a spiritual experience. I don't. But this song kind of gives me that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so like credit where it's due, <laughs> yeah. I think the song is like trying to reach for something and whether it succeeds or not, I mean, everyone in my life hates Billy Joel and <laughs> I don't, I don't hate Billy Joel. I don't love Billy Joel. I've never seen him live and I probably never will. Um, but I think that song has something interesting in it and I enjoy listening to it once a year. I, I think that is a great answer. I love it. Um, speaking of love. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Nice segue here. What's the most, what do you think is the most romantic song? Well, my answer is um, in a sentimental mood as recorded by Duke Ellington with John Coltrane. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like anything else needs to be said. That's like, it is. I, I was, I put that on again, a song I've probably listened to a hundred times, but I hadn't listened to in a while. And I put it on when I, this came through and I was just like, I was like, this has to be the pick. If this is the pick for something other than the most romantic song, then that's interesting. <laughs> right. It, it just it just drips with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And it's, you know, like another song that I thought about was um uh Ahmad Jamal's recording of Poinciana. Um like which mm. is like nice, but it's nice, but it's like that's more like like bachelor pad music <laughs> and like the, the the that recording of in a sentimental mood is is it doesn't have it's not like um it's not a uh, lecherous it's yeah. romantic like really with an interest towards like an actual i don't know maybe they're like it's it's very sincere and um beautiful i love it yeah yeah, yeah i think sincere is a very that's a word i really associate with it i think that's a really good i don't know yeah um well what's the song that changed your perspective on an artist yeah well the the, the my answer for this one is um harvest moon the hmm. neil young song um and and it's an interesting question because 
I mean, I, cause I grew up, I don't know. I would say I grew up like, I think before I got, before I was in my twenties, I thought I disliked Neil Young's music, but I was mostly, I wasn't really thinking about Neil Young as an artist or any of his recordings. I was thinking about Dana Carvey's impression of Neil Young in his stand-up special where he just makes fun of Neil Young, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes. Um, yeah. Like dead dog dying in a ditch. Like, yes, and, I was, yes. and I was, and I was like, Dana Carvey is so right. Neil Young is bad, but I had actually, in fact, not listened to Neil Young. I just thought he was Dana Carvey was funny, but, <laughs> but what happened with me is that when I was 20 years old, I dropped out of, college i i quit attending suny albany in new york and i moved to athens georgia to be in a band and um my my bandmate luke fields got me a job at the 24-hour diner in the oh, center wow. of, in the center of athens okay. which is still there it's called the grill and it's like a real like greasy spoon style like they they it's it's the real deal and so I was working 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. washing dishes and bussing tables. <laughs> and um, the manager, who's now the owner, Mike Bradshaw, he told me that he showed me that if you go to the back of the jukebox, there's a CD jukebox. And if you go to the back of the jukebox, you can um, open it and then hit the little um, sensor that uh, where like you put the quarter in. And then the sensor goes down and then you get a credit. And he was like, you can just like get as many credits as you want. And so I was like, you know, after the rush to, it would die down at 3 a.m., there's just like four hours to just like sweep and like clean and mm -hmm. chill out and stuff. And so I would always put on a lot of music and I would listen to like, um, like they would put on Tom Waits or the Melvins and things like this. And those are artists I already really liked, but someone put on harvest moon or, you know, repeat listens to harvest moon, you know, it's like you're in a diner, it's four or five in the morning, no one's in there, you're drinking coffee. And then that song comes on and, and it's just really nice. And I was like, Oh, I think I, I had the wrong impression about Neil Young. And you know, like I, you know, that song is obviously like late era and it's not my, it's no longer like something I would call my favorite Neil Young. I, I got more in like in the years that followed that I got more into like tonight's the night and Zuma and all those amazing records. Mm -hmm. But, 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 it, but Harvest Moon was the song that changed my perspective. That's yeah. That's great. I, I 4am in a diner, empty diner. Like that seems like a really, it's like, I can feel that, <laughs> that scene in my boat. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I'm really glad I had that experience. <laughs> um, well, what so what are some of your favorite lyrics? Like if it's this whole song, like one line. Yeah. So yeah, you'd ask like, you know, favorite lyrics, one song, one line. And I, I, you know, I think it goes without saying, and I think almost anyone would relate to this, that none of my answers are hard and fixed here. Sure. Oh, They're just yes. it, it's just all about how I'm feeling right now. Yes. And and that's part of what's fun about these exercises is you just have to kind of take yourself where you're living right now. Right. And the song that I chose is uh, This Mystic Decade by the band Hot Snakes. I love Hot Snakes. You, you're, a fan, you're a fan? Huge fan. Love Hot Snakes. Me too, man. Me too. And um, it, I'm still so heartbroken 
over the loss of Rick Froberg, whose music has meant so much to me uh, throughout my life. Um, And this song, I mean, I think he's, he's obviously really respected as a, as a musician and as a visual Mm -hmm. artist. And I think people who've really like who really like his music, they know he was also like an incredibly gifted lyricist. And the lyrics for this mystic decade are internally absolutely flawless. Like the subject of the song is like the end of something, you know, and yeah. and it's all about like, you know, okay, this happened, now it's over. And this is you know it's it's not positive nor negative it's almost kind of like this sort of nihilistic ambivalence um (laughs) and there's lots of like um sort of um internal like not even internal rhymes just like self-referential kind of couplets like where the lines relate to the one previous drive off in a hearse we know drive off in reverse drive off in a hearse i forget the order right now but Brilliant. He was an absolutely brilliant lyricist. And that's my favorite. I think that, well, it's hard to say what my favorite Hot Snake song is. I, I think every song on the first three records is absolutely perfect. But I think that's one of his best achievements. And so I, that's, that's my answer right now. I think it's a perfect song in every respect. Uh, I think it's a great answer. Yeah, I, I remember first heard Hot Snakes, so like back in very early as a Foxy yeah. Digitalis on I'd be on AOL Instant Messenger all day talking, just bullshitting with Sarah Hennies. I don't, yeah. remember, I don't remember how. I don't even remember how we. Somebody introduced us. I don't remember how. Yeah. And and she told me about hot snakes. Oh wow. And, and there's she told me. God, I swear to God, if Sarah Hennies ever tells you about a band or something, run out immediately and listen to it because <laughs> hot snakes sold American. Oh wow. Like, yeah. So. Um, so I always associate like hot snakes with Sarah, which is not a bad thing because Sarah's amazing. But yeah, yeah like perfect. <clears throat> they're like a perfect band. I don't know. I just I love yeah. And like the, like you said, those first those first three records, it's just yeah, it's flawless. And it's yeah, I'm still totally like whenever he whenever he died, it was just like that that one hit pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, gutting. And I. I mean, I I'm, I tend to be pretty stoic about when people when someone passes and, uh-huh. and if I if I don't know them personally, like uh, I, you know I mean, I, but there are certain like for that. I mean, it's a lot of things. He yeah. he he died he died of an undis- an undiagnosed heart disease, which is also like the same thing that my dad the wound up killing my dad a couple of years ago. And so that kind of hit really hard. And also it made me realize like, you know, I think when you're younger, you kind of see a lot of artists who are already up and doing it. And you're like, you know, they're an adult and I'm young, but he was, I think in his mid fifties and I'm I'm like, well, what the fuck? We're actually not that far away in age. Um, So it had a personal resonance for those reasons, but also just, I think he had a lot to offer still and yeah. uh and you know i'm really glad i got to meet him once and oh nice I, I got to thank him for the music um actually can i tell the story yes absolutely all right 
So uh, there's this really amazing um, place in in uh, Greenpoint in Brooklyn called Sunview Luncheonette. Um, it's a again a diner. I don't know. It's funny. Like I feel like fucking David Lynch here talking about diners all day. <laughs> but like it's a it's like an old disused uh, small diner that a couple people maintain as a, a sort of art space, like a shared art space, and and sometimes place to present music. And um, this is kind of a this is kind of a funny story. So I was there. I was going to be playing music there. I was playing music with um, Jed Brewer uh and we were watching i was in the back of the room and the open one of the one of the first acts was performing and um my friend janet is next to me and she turns to me and goes this guy that's right in front of us has a bug on his shoulder i'm i'm gonna get it off and i was like okay i, I see the bug you're talking about go for it and so she very carefully just sort of goes over and just like gently swipes his shoulder in a downward motion and so then i'm like oh where'd the bug go and i look down and it's like right on the crotch of my pants <laughs> and then i'm doing that sort of like panic like get it off, get it off. and i'm like oh, did i get it and then like i look up and the guy who's whose shoulder the bug was on has turned around and it's rick froberg Oh my God. And he's just like, he, and he's, and he all, the only thing that he knows at this point is that someone like tapped him on the shoulder and then he turned around and it's me swiping at my crotch. And so, oh yeah. So then like, I was like, oh, and you're Rick Froberg. And he's like, what? And I was, and, <laughs> but so then, you know, that was like kind of how we sort of met. And then afterwards, I was just like, I got it. I got it. I got to say what's what. And I just told him how much the music's meant to me. And I'm really glad I got to be able to do that. That's, that's an amazing story. I love pretty, it. Pretty silly. Okay. Well, on to the happier things. What is the song that you have or you can listen to the most? My answer for this was Tuned Mass Damper by LP. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized after I answered that, that like I, the same question I could answer with like one of like two dozen right. deaf, deaf songs from Deaf Jocks around the same era. Cause like that, yeah. that, that era of music, I, I became so obsessed with everything Def Jux was doing <laughs> when I was like 18 or 19, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so like, it could be like any of like a half a dozen songs from the Cannibal Ox record, the cold vein or like, you know, like Mr. Lift stuff, but, 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 um, fantastic damage by LP is one of my favorite albums of all time. And um that that song tune mass damper just comes in with like this incredibly swaggering oh hard beat the production it, is so good. i mean he is as a producer he is on like his rapping is good it's great but god his productions are yeah and and, and like and kind of untouched in terms of like um, like no one's even making an attempt to try to do what he did. Yeah. What he did was so incredibly personal to him as a producer mm -hmm. that it's just impossible to replicate. And also like incredible career afterwards where he's developed right. so, so, so much and has done so many like different sounding kind of things with Run the Jewels and other people. Um, but yeah, Tune Mass Damper... 
I just will never get tired of hearing that beat come in and the opening lines. I took this photograph soaking wet. I can just, it's, it's like tattooed on the inside of my skull. I love that shit. Yeah. No, that all that air, like that, there was a, that moment. However, like that, when Def Jux, like you said, all that stuff, there's so much just like all time great stuff. Yeah. It's, I agree. Yeah, um, that's great pick. So, what is what's the last song that you completely fell in love with? Um, the song I, I said is uh, "It's Not Just Me, It's Everybody" by Wise Blood. Yeah, which that must have been obvious to you because it's like the newest song, on the right? List. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that song is. Uh, I can listen to her sing anything. <laughs> She's amazing, and I, I don't know. Like, I actually have to do more. I have to check her out more because. I've always been, I've been like aware of her for a while. Um, I actually saw her sing uh, Everyone's Talking by Harry Nilsson at a wedding once. Oh my gosh. My, my wow. friends Julian, yeah, my friends Julian and Sarah got married and, and uh, Natalie Wiseblood uh, did that as a duet with Sean Nicholas Savage. Do you know that guy? Name's familiar. Oh, he's great. Check him out. Yeah. He's a great vocalist. But anyway, but yeah, no, this song, like my the drummer, uh, Jason from Sunwatchers, my band Sunwatchers, he Jason sent me the song. He's like, you should check this out. It's really good. And I listened to the song once and I was like, oh, wow, she's just got such an amazing voice. And the melody on the chorus is really beautiful. Then I, I, I looked at the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I got to say. I don't know. She. I, I, whether she was intending to or not, it's like she perfectly summed up the, 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 the life, the, the, the world that we live in mm-hmm. right now. And, and she, and you know, like with, with that record that I did recurring dream, I was trying to talk about like what it feels like to be alive right now, mm-hmm. how it's, how it's like scary or, 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 you know, Yeah, I was trying to like point towards things that I was experiencing, but uh, one thing that I I wish I had done and I want to do in future songs that I write is try to try to have some kind of a a helpful quality to it, like something, something that can be uplifting to a certain extent. And I think that being uplifting is maybe one of the hardest things to do in music Mm because it can be really corny, you know. No one wants it's it's can be really um cheesy. But this song that Wiseblood wrote, she's like, oh, okay. Alienation is baked into our day-to-day lives, but it's not just me feeling that way. It's everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something like the simplicity of just the lot, oh, it's not just me, it's everybody, but like it's so it's it hit, I remember when I first heard it and listened like i heard it and it was like oh, it was really good it's kind of the same similar experience then i looked at the lyrics it was just oh yeah i mean and it is it's uh, i think everybody can relate to what she's talking about and it's done in uh like you were saying like there's a this balance between being like earnest and corny and like i don't know she walks that line perfectly and yeah it's i think yeah it's and just and i love the sort of chamber pop feeling of the song because i don't feel like that's something i hear a lot um it kind of reminded me of like 
Scott three or Scott four, like era Scott Walker. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, which mm-hmm. for me, which for me is like my favorite Scott Walker. I love it all. But, um, and yeah. so, and, and again, it's, a, it's like a really, it's a thing. It's easy. I feel like easy to, I don't know if get wrong is the right word, but just it's hard to have all these things come together. Like it does on that song. That's, yeah. She, she, she completely nailed it. And, and I, and I, and I'm really grateful to her for taking that risk mm-hmm. because, because it's a, it's amazing by like, by addressing the collective alienation right there, yeah. there's like this incredible bond that she's creating with her audience mm-hmm. of everyone being like, Oh, I don't feel, I feel less alone now that I know that right. this is a universal experience. Right. And so that's like, that's like a public service right there. That, that goes beyond uh, just like trying to write a song. It's, yeah. it's, it's really remarkable. And I'm really grateful to her for writing it. Yeah. That's a great answer. Um, all right. We'll come into the end here in the home stretch. Okay. So <clears throat> what's the song that means the most to you? And it's not necessarily because of the song, but you associate it with someone experience. You had something. Yeah. Um, well, my answer is that uh, the creator has a master plan by Pharaoh Sanders. Um, and the experience, and I, I've talked about this. Uh, I talked about this on Twitter when when um, Pharaoh yeah. passed away. Um, but you know, my dad, like, my dad was like, uh, like my parents are both really into music. My mom was a, a music teacher, elementary school choral teacher. Oh wow! Until she retired, and um, she <laughs> also like had a sort of like she she um, was in a vocal group when she was young that had a single that like did okay you know wow yeah 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 um and uh my dad was never a musician himself but he was a great uh he was a huge fan of music and um i just have this memory of like my mom going out of town when i was in my early teens and my dad saying oh well this is a album that my that um your mom won't allow me to play in the house while she's home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so he played me uh karma the pharaoh sanders record and wow. I, I yeah and i took it upon myself shortly after that to like take it into my room with my boom box and like lie down and close my eyes and listen to it and i i think that i really i think that i did this sort of independent of any kind of cultural awareness that that's something that people do Mm-hmm. maybe sure. i don't know for all i know i maybe i saw it on television and i wanted to do that too but i just i feel like i was just like oh this is like really really special yeah and i should spend some time really listening to this and so that yeah and like that that i think that hearing that music and paying attention to it and real to and realizing all the power that was in that music it totally set me on a path that I've been on ever since. Yeah. You know, in terms of like my saxophone playing and intentions and, and, you know, hopes for what my art can do for other people. Uh Um, And also just the, and the connection and like the gratitude towards my father for, for, for sharing it with me, you know? Yeah. So that, uh, that's, there's something really yeah there's something really beautiful about that um and what a what a piece of music 
my God. So cool. Yeah. And that's also, I mean, and it, even like later on in my life, it really guided me towards the people I wanted to know. Like <laughs> I, I wound up joining um, the band Dark Meat when I lived in Athens, Georgia. And that's how I met uh, Jim and Jason, who I would later go on to be in Sun Watchers with. And we, we, uh, when I was in that band, we, like, I remember Jim was like, oh, we should play The Creator Has a Master Plan. And I was like, cool. I love that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we did it, we did it once at, uh, the 40 watt club and John Fernandez from Olivia Tremor Control did the like Leon, uh, Thomas, like free jazz yodeling vocals. Amazing. Um, it was pretty, yeah, that was really fun, but it was like, oh, cool. Like these people like this music too. And that's a nice way to kind of connect with them as collaborators over like a shared interest in this kind of music. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I was I was looking again earlier this morning at like everybody who plays on that record and it's what a what a lineup. Um, Is Ron Carter on that? Yeah, he doesn't play on that. He plays on Colors. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, it's Reggie Workman plays well, and Richard Davis is also on it. And, wow, Jesus Christ! That's like yeah. how do you get the three guys? You got the three guys <laughs> on one. All right, all right, and then you've got Lonnie Liston Smith on piano. And, oh wow um james spaulding plays flute which i've been having a flute moment the last few years where i'm really obsessed with flute I oh interesting I, I was gonna i was gonna learn to play flute this year i was but i time didn't happen and even and laura cox was i'll teach you over oh, zoom sick like, she's well, great yeah it's like you're the best flute player i know by a wide margin um but yeah all-time great piece of music and speaking of all time, great pieces of music. I know what your answer is, but <laughs> <laughs> narrow it down. Um, what is your favorite piece of music? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I want to give some transparency to the listeners, though, Brad, because you said, okay. "What's your favorite?" That your question was, well, "What's your favorite song?" True. And I was like, and I was like, "Well, is this even a song? It's more of a piece." But my answer. Well, I don't know. It's semantic. It's semantic. Yes. Nerd shit. And it's nerd shit on my right. part. Nerd this shit. Whole, this whole thing is nerd shit, Jeff. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're up. Yeah. And I, I embrace that. But anyway, uh, no, it's, it's Rothko Chapel by yeah. Morton, Morton Feldman. Um, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like, so it's sort of like similar to wise blood where she's using the power of, of her creativity and talent to um make people feel less alone mm -hmm. the the feldman uh piece rothko chapel i don't know what his intention was but that music to me is like the sound of like pulling a veil back and revealing a completely different reality <laughs> yeah like whenever the choir comes in oh my god it's just sort of like I didn't, I, I literally didn't know that something like that was possible in music until I heard it. Um, <laughs> and then the, the viola melody at the end is gorgeous. I mean, I could talk all day about Rothko Chapel. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I, and also, I guess it's sort of, it's like a similar thing with the, like the meaningful, the meaningful, the question about the most yeah. meaningful song. You know, because like I, I, I think I discovered Feldman through reading The Rest is Noise when that book had just come out. Um, oh, wow. the, Alex, okay. the Alex Ross book. Mm -hmm. I was kind of late to the party, I guess. But 
Um, yeah, and I was like, oh, I'll check this guy out. And I, I checked out a little bit of it. And I was like, oh, I have to give this like that same treatment. I have to like listen to it. Like, you know, close my eyes and like really experience it. And I just don't, I don't know that any other piece of music really comes close. Um, it's uh, be, beyond my comprehension and beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I I came late to Feldman too, and um, but uh, yeah, this piece is may not be a song technically, but <laughs> the, and and I I just want to say that like for the question, what's your favorite song? The runner-up was the Hot Chip song "Boy from School," um, <laughs> and and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the rest of my life synthesizing Rothko Chapel and a Boy from School. I feel uh, like. If anybody asked me, like, yeah, there you go. If you want to get to know about Jeff Tobias, these are his two favorite songs. It tells you what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, love I mean, it. yeah. It's it's that's what that's one thing that's been so great about you. Um, the experience I've had with you asking me to do this, Brad, is that it's uh, reminded me of so much music that I either take for granted or maybe haven't thought about in a long time, or it's like so completely uh, essential to who I am that I I. I almost forget. Um, so it's been really awesome. Nice, like reacquainting myself with this music. Then I will consider this a resounding success. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Thank you yeah, same so here. much for doing it. Is what? So music for the Milky from the Milky music from Milky Way Underground. I keep wanting to add a the in there. Um, yeah. Is out now on digital formats and cassette. And is there anything else that you want to mention? It's coming up. Um, okay. Well, uh, if, if this is being heard at the beginning of October, I hope everyone's enjoying the new modern nature album that just came out and, uh, buy the new sun watchers album when that comes out or just listen to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I expect maybe a new tears of familia tape will be out by then if we can get our act together and um yeah thanks very much for listening and uh, thank you brad thank you jeff once again i can't thank jeff tobias enough for just being game for this being open to it and like really embracing it i had so much fun recording this i hope you all have as half as much fun listening to it don't forget to check out jeff's new album music from milky way underground which is available on cassette and digital formats it's on his Bandcamp link in the show notes and music is victory over time is the new sun watchers album that is coming next month on trouble in mind thanks again for listening i hope you'll join us next time when my guest will be the one the only my favorite everybody's favorite nina dante all right y'all keep listening to whatever the hell you want see you next time